happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 275 on December 7th, 2022. My name is Jason Neifer, and I'm the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus. Not right here, because I'm elsewhere in Montana tonight, but in Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, Good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am well, and I am excited to join because it's almost been a month since we have been online, and a lot has happened in personal lives as well as the uh, tech world. So we only have four four weeks of uh, articles to talk about, but we actually didn't get quite as crazy with the links this tonight. So, but you know, I think. The rumor is we might talk about some AI tonight. That that's just what I heard. So, yeah, totally. What, well, what are, and what are we going to do here? Well, we collected some links for this week. Um, we tend to comb the technology media, looking for things that we think might be interesting to schools and education, and talk about them here in our podcast. Uh, you can get these links at the EdTech Situation Room webpage, www.edtechsr.com/links, where we have a Google document that really documents every link. Um, we've ever talked about on the show. And in fact, we've had to split into two because Google Docs was starting to choke on the sheer number of links we had shared in that document. Um, but tonight we have several interesting topics to talk about, including um, artificial intelligence, a lot going on in that world tonight, Twitter and Mastodon, uh, a couple of some app news, some interesting connectivity news, some virtual uh, uh, voice assistance um, uh, news or it, it, uh, individualized personal assistance, depending on how you want to call them. A little bit of Apple news here and there, some social media news, journalism and polarization, culture news, space news, security news. And of course, we'll end tonight's festivities with our so-called Geek of the Week. Um, Dr. Fryer, lots to talk about tonight. Is there anything in particular you want to focus on b- before we jump into some of the stickier stuff? <sighs> I think we- let's have a little Mastodon. I just uh, tweeted the first link out on Mastodon for a live show. So That's a big the- something. Yeah. For the record, everyone, uh, it's it's knife at Mastodon.cloud, and it is... W Fryer at Mastodon.cloud. I didn't realize you were on the same server. So um, interesting. So, all right. So I put a, well, we need to talk about the Twitter mess a little bit. I'll I'll defer for that article for you. I'm going to go to PC World on November 30th, how Mastodon and the Fediverse put social um, networks in the people's hands. So I, I signed up for Mastodon back in 2017 and Miguel Gulen laughed at me. Let's just let's just say that for the record. Uh, there were a lot of people laughing. Isn't this weird? My hand is doing weird things. I'm using my fancy Wi-Fi XSplit VCAM here. Um, anyway, it was it was just sort of an experiment, uh, as we've talked about on the show before. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't excited when Google came out with Google Plus, thinking, oh great, you know, it, it's, it's another social network uh, that that we need to build. But I was very intrigued by the fact that Mastodon was open source and the fact that um, it was community managed and it had this potential of not being a centrally managed social network. So um, this article by PC World uh, basically, you know, goes through how the troubles that Twitter has been having as a result of Elon Musk's purchase and then the firing of so many people. I mean, we haven't seen Twitter go go down to my knowledge and we haven't seen it implode, but we don't have these articles in the show notes currently, but there has been some research showing that uh, the amount of hate speech and the amount of content that is problematic, you know, has, has really exploded. But one of the things which might be a gift, and I guess I can just even say from a personal standpoint, the push that I have had because of concerns over Twitter's potential demise and the importance that that, that Twitter has played in my own information consumption and filtering and just life because you know, we live with information and the ways in which we choose to to filter it and to uh, take it in. You know, th- these are important skills and, and it's just an important part of, of how we're aware of what's going on. It's really given me a push and it's given, I think, thousands of other people a push to really move into Mastodon and see 
you know, is this a, an environment that that can work? And I am happy to report that it feels a lot like early days of Web 2.0, kind of in the, you know, mid 2000s. It is more of an early adopter crowd that's using Mastodon, but I've had some fantastic interactions, not only with some familiar, you know, names and faces as far as people that I have been following and connected with on Twitter, but also one that I might talk about a little bit later um, with respect to AI and AI generated art, you know, with, with an author and some great back and forth and it's just been amazing. So anyway, Mastodon, it's a thing. It's a federated open source platform, much like email, which is standards based and anybody can run their own email server. Anybody can run their own Mastodon server, but it's possible to interoperate just like we do with email. You don't have to be on Gmail. You don't all have to be on AOL, you know, in order to exchange, exchange electronic messages. Uh, similarly with Mastodon, you, you can be on whatever instance that you want um, and you can interoperate and be able to see, but it is a true, um, you know, chronological feed. It is not algorithmically massaged by some kind of opaque algorithm um, that, you know, overlords at, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, overlords from Silicon Valley, let's say, um, have crafted. So any thoughts, Dr. Neifer, on your formative Mastodon experiences and just this, I, this phenomenon of what's happening because of the Twitter current events. Yeah. And I would also go back to one of your earlier comments too, to talk about that. I mean, the reality is, is that Twitter hasn't gone down and that was what I think was being kind of cheered for, but uh, by those that that don't like the way Mr. Musk has has kind of taken over that platform. But the bottom line is, is that I don't think the, the, the experience of Twitter being up or down is really the problem. I think it's a a bigger issue. I mean, I, 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 don't think I would run a company that way and fire a bunch of employees. And, um, you know, it famously now he, he, uh, uh, emailed employees a few weeks back and said, you either need to be hardcore or leave. Um, and in fact, the, the term hardcore has led to an, an office meme for us, uh, in my day job where we, I keep asking people if they're hardcore or not. Um, and, um, the bottom line is, is that I, uh, there's a lot going on there, and I think the implication for education is that there, uh, it, Twitter in a world where there aren't protections in place becomes a pretty scary place, I think. And I just think about in the last 15 years where Twitter uh, has grown from and what it's become, um, I'm, I'm reminded of two things. I know plenty of teachers that actually, uh, government teachers actually, that, that have students get on Twitter and utilize as an exercise to engage with elected officials and research and kind of see what's going on in regards to the broader political realm. But also, Teacher Twitter is a real thing, right? And it brought me in not because of the prospect of connecting with with um, you know celebrities or politicians or um, uh, even tech companies. What brought me to Twitter was the prospect of connecting with other educators. And um, I've actually seen references before to the fact that Twitter, despite the fact it's not the most popular social media site in the United States by a far margin, actually, um, sites like Instagram and Facebook and even in, in Facebook's current state, and also uh, up-and-comers like TikTok, I think, have more uh, aggregate audience than than does Twitter. But, you know, Twitter's experience is pretty good uh, when it comes to connecting to people professionally. Now, one thing that I think has been really clear uh, in, in, and this is just as true now as it was 10 years ago, and Wes, I think you and I have talked about this a couple of times in, in the history of our podcast, but... Twitter is a great place to connect and share bits of information. It is not a place to have a nuanced discussion about things. And what I've discovered over time is that the more nuance you need to your discussion, the less likely it is you're going to have a productive discussion on Twitter. Um, I've been in a couple of, of, of regular weekly edu chats uh, with folks where the topic was a, a bit controversial and um, uh, uh, lacked a certain a bit of... Um, of, of nuance. And when you try to, to express an opinion that is more complex, but perhaps goes against the norm, you know, Twitter's just a terrible place to do that. And, um, but that said, I, if Twitter dies, I don't think it's going to, but if Twitter dies, I think that's the biggest loss uh, for education is that it's a, just an incredibly important platform, I think, for teachers, particularly teachers with any sort of tech acumen to connect. Now that all said, 
I, uh, I've been quietly watching things as they play out. I am concerned uh, because they let a lot of, um, you know, potentially destructive voices back onto the platform. Um, and in a lot of ways, um, uh, the vision of free speech for Mr. Musk is not the way I think free speech works, at least in regards to the American democracy. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if Mastodon is the place to go either, um, in part because it's a little difficult to set up. Um, it's not quite uh, it's, it's not as polished of a platform as Facebook or, or Twitter. Um, it's harder to find people. Um, that are out there because if you someone else is a friend of yours is following someone there and they're on another Mastodon server, um, it's easy to find them. But if I want to find, you know, um, uh, uh, Melissa Mastodon user um, and I don't know which server that that she's on, unless I'm able to find someone that's following her or search of uh, users or I think there's been some fledgling directories that that have started popping up. It's difficult to 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 find people. Also, uh, discovery I think is is difficult. Um, and also, when you see a generic feed, you see your server. Um, and if you're on a, a quiet server or maybe an, a very protective server, you're not going to see as much of the broader conversation. Um, so I, you know, there's a lot that's going to happen. I think in the next uh, couple of months in regards to Twitter. Um, uh, the article I shared was, I don't think we actually talked about this situation um, the last time uh, we, we met a month ago, but, um, you know, one of the things that happened was, and I think we did report on this last time around, was that uh, Elon Musk was going to sell uh, check marks for $8 a month. That was one of the ways he was going to get income, and that would be a way of, of confirming, well, verifying you. And the process of verification is, uh, at least was, a little bit in a black box, right? That, um, you know, I know that both Wes and I have talked about that we've tried to get verified before. Wes has a much better argument than I do because I think he's got five times the followers that I do. Um, and, and I think that makes a, a little more sense. But outside of celebrities, some unique use cases, some, some ed, or I'm sorry, some technology uh, leaders, um, and then politicians uh, and official accounts, uh, Twitter verification has been generally uh, unable uh, to be uh, picked up by the, the average user, even if it's useful to know that you're the real you and not someone else. And so uh, Mr. Musk um, implemented, a, uh, uh, quickly implemented a solution that allows you to get verification for $8 a month. And what immediately happened, and it's, it's detailed in some detail in, in the New York Times article I share from, from November 11th, is that a bunch of people got on and created fake accounts that were verified with $8 and started creating shenanigans. Um, probably the, the one that I laugh the most at, but also it, it's very serious, is one of the, the makers of insulin in the United States uh, was the target of a, um, a, a, a fake verified account saying that they were going to uh, drastically decrease the price of insulin um, because it's the right thing to do and mentioned the fact that the patent for insulin was sold for $1 when it was created decades ago for a reason. And um, uh, <laughs> uh, the company immediately, uh, well, not immediately, after several hours, the company figured out what was happening, um, sent out a tweet saying that the tweet was was not from them. It was not a, a, an official tweet. It was not anything to do with the company. And then the company lost uh, several percentage points of stock value because of that. And, of course, the uncomfortable conversation that led to is that um, I think it was Eli, Eli, Eli Lilly that was the a company that, that was targeted in that um, uh, uh, kind of spoof. But Eli Lilly uh, apologized for the tweet. And then a bunch of advocates for uh, 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 diabetics that need insulin, which is just crazy expensive in the United States, um, then said, you know, well, glad to hear that you're apologizing for, a, for a, a, a hack tweet and not for the price of insulin, which led to a whole other set of debates. And it, there's just so many rabbit holes here. Identity, um, uh, uh, source verification, um, uh, parody, I think, is, is something that is, uh, uh, is brought up by all this, too. And there's going to be another version of this released relatively soon. I think I, I saw maybe in a week or two some version of this after they turned it off because of all the shenanigans. But 
um, you know, maybe this is where Twitter's going in the future. Maybe the Twitter that that emerges from this is a leaner, better Twitter, maybe more responsive to its users. It's hard to know and say, but man, this is just an epic mess. Several thoughts. Uh, first off, um, I dropped the the article into the show notes and let's see shoot. i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to copy this as a gift link <laughs> it's interesting because uh this is how this is hate speech rise on twitter is unprecedented researchers find and this is the new york times on december the second um i like since i subscribe to the new york times being able to share these links as there we go as gift links and that way you don't have to worry about getting the um you know prompted in order to subscribe what occurs to me, and we've talked about this before, is that I think both you and I have have really lived on a part of Twitter, edgy Twitter, that is very different than what the mainstream media talks about and what a lot of people wring their hands and lament. You know, my experiences since 2007 getting on Twitter have been exceptionally positive. I have fortunately not really bore the brunt or been the at the receiving end uh, of a culture war diatribe of, you know, trolls of, of, of just, you know, a lot of ugliness. And there is a lot of ugliness on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of harassment that happens. And that, um, that is related actually to the, the issue of verification. But, you know, there's also been a lot of unintended consequences, or I think they're unintended in terms of like the ways in which social media, not just Twitter, has been weaponized globally, um, especially by, in some cases, politicians who have really been able to um, pull the emotional you know, strings, so to speak, uh, of, of people really fan the flames of fear. Um, you know, and, and we've seen things happen in, in, uh, well, the Rohingya minority, um, the, you know, the, the Rohingya people in, um, Southeast Asia, um, in, um, Brazil, you know, with Bolsonaro, um, we, we saw things with Brexit. We saw things in the, in the 2016 election here in the United States. Um, I'm, I dropped in also, in addition to that article, um, and I'll just, I was thinking about Geek of the Week or whatever, but I'm just going to say this now. Uh, I'll give you this Mastodon link. So this guy, Adam McKay, is phenomenal. What, what I want to say is that, you know, Twitter and, and sort of the mainstream Twitter experience may continue, may be really bad. Um, and, and, it, and that could end up causing, like if Twitter doesn't make money, if advertisers do flee in mass and Twitter, because I think Elon has to make something like, is it a billion, what is it, a billion dollars a year, maybe? Or is it a month? Maybe it's a year. Oh, well, yeah, whatever it's, it is. I mean, he paid a, $41 billion for the platform. It's a lot of interest, right? And yeah. so interest alone on what he leveraged, um, and I won't pretend to understand all the dynamics of that investment, but uh, there's a lot of money that has to be made in order for the folks who have given loans to, to get their money back. So anyway, there is a scenario where Twitter doesn't you know get to live forever, but I don't think that's going to happen quickly if Twitter does go away. And I think that the good experiences, which I'm continuing to have, and you, I think you are too, uh, with Twitter, and I've invested countless hours in building my lists. I mean, I use my Twitter lists all the time, and it really pains me. And Mastodon doesn't have public lists. You can build a list, but it's private to you. Anyway, I dropped in this link, um, and this is an exchange with an uh, artist who has been using this tool called... Um, Mid Journey, uh, which is similar to Stable Diffusion, which is the open sourced version of an text to image AI algorithm, which is called generative AI, which is going to maybe this will segue us into our AI conversation. Anyway, if you scroll down this, it was an amazing, you know, set of pictures that that this uh, artist, Adam McKay, had created um, of this astronaut playing this guitar on the moon. And I asked him about, hey, what are you using? And he says Mid Journey. And then one of my sixth graders actually discovered that Padlet, which we license at school to use as like digital sticky notes, it's a wonderful platform. Uh, it has a I can't draw option that uses generative AI to create images based upon your query. And so I had a student that did one for um, shark chasing cheetah. And then this 
artist, Adam McKay, uses Midjourney, which uses Discord, interestingly, to create these other images, which were incredible. And so anyway, it led to this back and forth and me, you know, ending up playing with, with Midjourney a little bit and, you know, some of the articles that I'll end up, you know, sharing when we get to that AI conversation. So wonderful, exciting conversations that are able to be had between, in this case, strangers or people who were strangers before, um, you know, the use of hashtags, it is more challenging, but I think the key is Mastodon is not based on the whole idea of the sur of surveillance capitalism and the attention, uh, there, the attention economy plays in, but surveillance capitalism, which says we're the product, we're not the customer as the users, you know, the customers are the folks who are buying ads and the whole purpose is to try and, you know, hack our brains to get us to just spend more time on the platform. So I think it really is likely that Twitter is going to continue to be a wonderful resource for many of us as it has been and it's grown to be for years. Um, but I think that the uh, potential for Twitter to get really, really ugly uh, is, is really, really strong. And so the other link that I'm going to drop in here is to a podcast that I would commend, <clears throat> which I think I did find via Twitter um, for several reasons. I will not at all pretend to be an expert on black Twitter, um, on the ways in which African-Americans have found community and support and networking. But there is a uh, African-American podcaster by the name of Bridget Todd, who has partnered together with um, uh, another African-American journalist, I think, to create Internet Hate Machine. And so they have an episode called, it says, what Elon Musk could learn from the end Father's Day hoax, which I had never heard of before. Um, but anyway, this is on the Internet Hate Machine podcast, um, which Bridget Todd hosts. And anyway, among other things, they, they talk about how vital verification is for people whose identities are being stolen. Uh, in some cases, and this has happened politically, um, there, there have been cases, and I'm not going to be – it's in this podcast – but there was a case where this account that, that was pretending to be Antifa, you know, was a pro Donald Trump account. And it was saying some extremely inflammatory things. And they had grabbed a picture of a real African-American journalist. Well, you know, you, you can see where things get really ugly really fast when, when people's identities are being hijacked by fake accounts. And there's a story in here of an actor who I did not know, but he had received messages from parents being mad at him because his, their children had been interacting with him. He wasn't even on Twitter at that time. And it just showed what a dumpster fire it can be when people are interacting with accounts that they think are legitimate or, or people's identities are being stolen. And it just, it's a real, real mess. And so what I walked away from, from listening to that internet hate machine episode saying was, wow, even though at, to your point, Jason, it's, it seemed like a bit of a black box as far as how verification worked and like, why can't we get verified? But for some of the folks like celebrities or like uh, African, like journalists in general, or specifically African-Americans, uh, it is, it's very, very, it has been very, very important um, in terms of trying to uh, establish credibility and authenticity and just dealing with the incredibly fractured and polluted and frankly, hostile information environment that we live in. So I think that the forecast, sadly, is for more pollution, more dumpster fire, more confusion. Like, I don't, I don't think any of the changes that have been made to Twitter recently are going to be constructive and helpful in, in really helping anyone other than trolls and, and people that really want to, you know, be more free as bad actors to, to do nefarious things. And so I'm sorry to bring that forecast, but that's my reading of the tea leaves at this point. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I would just say, and you mentioned something at the beginning of your comments, Wes, that, that I, I want to add a, a, a little deeper note for me. Our, our, my experience in Twitter is better, but I've also had to work at that a little bit because politics wiggles its way into my feed. Um, and I don't run a political feed. Um, and in fact, if anything, um, 
I'm very careful about my social media presence. And it's not just because I have a, a leadership position in a statewide organization in my state. It's not just because when social media started, you know, uh, 20 years ago, I was a classroom teacher. And so I was really careful about that. But, you know, um, and Wes can confirm this. Um, you, you see a very polished version of my life in Facebook and on Instagram. Um, it's a very curated set of photos. I don't, um, you know, I, I don't ring through my problems on Facebook. I don't overshare um, at all. Um, it's, you know, well, if I have challenges, I, I'm not afraid to talk about them. And in fact, one of the reasons why we've been gone for a couple of weeks is I finally picked up COVID a couple of weeks ago. And obviously I'm here and doing great and um, feel very thankful about modern medicine. But, um, you know, that's a very curated version of my life. And in fact, Twitter, it, the way I engage with this is also very curated. I want to learn about you know, more about Google Classroom and what, what, what new theory, what new strategies are utilized in Excel and connect with folks like Wes. Um, and when politics gets into my feed or when I find out there's some kind of terrible thing going on discussion wise on Twitter, I click on it and it, it's, I mean, it's very jarring to me because my experience is mostly related to education and connecting with other professional educators and people that care deeply about that issue. Um, and uh, that's very different uh, experience. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I've been, I had a lot of ideas cooking in my head the last couple of months. And one of them is that part of the reason why these social media properties have been so out of control um, in the last 15 years or so, obviously uh, kind of crescendoing in the mid 2010s um, is because I just don't think we've embraced enough of these technologies in the classroom and helped kids understand the ways to use them appropriately. And mm -hmm. I have a whole, um, I, I, I should note, um, I am going to keynote uh, the Northwest Council for Computer Education uh, Conference uh, uh, later this spring. I'll be the closing keynote for that. And I've been working really hard on uh, some kind of theory. I have, I, have an, I have an idea in my head that I've been working on that, that is pretty extraordinary. But um, the, uh, one of the themes I'm working on is that we, that, that, all educators need to take responsibility for how students use technology. And it may not be our job, but in absence of someone doing that for us, I think we're sending kids into the world. Um, and I'm not talking to probably the people you're listening to this podcast. I'm certainly not talking to Dr. Fryer. I'm probably not talking to most of the people of the audience of the Northwest Council for Computer Education Conference, right? But we need to have an honest conversation in education about where we're going and, and, and what we're responsible for, because I'm of a significant um, uh, uh, view that unless we help people find the good in these tools, then I think the less better angels of our nature are going to take over instead. And that's what I think we're seeing now. Um, I, you know, I, Mr. Musk, I, there's lots to admire about him. There's lots also to be critical about, about him, but um I, I, I've seen a couple of references to this. You know, you have to have systems in place to make sure that your social media uh, 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 property doesn't become a dark alley somewhere full of cruft. Um, and that's what I fear is, is, is happening right now. So, well, and this can segue to AI if, if we want to. I think that both exist simultaneously. We've got yeah. a wonderful opportunity to engage in great conversations and dialogue. And like you said, it is more difficult if we want to disagree as far as just the format and the medium of Twitter. Um, but it, it is a, a great place for idea sharing and for networking and, and just also just feedback and say, hey, you know, once you have a network, throwing something out there and oftentimes you'll, you'll hear from somebody. Yeah. And they'll share well, something that you haven't heard of before. You know, um, it really is, uh, you know, fantastic for that. But I think it's, it, we have, edgy Twitter has coexisted with ugly Twitter <laughs> for yeah. quite a while. And ugly Twitter is, is still there and, and maybe it's, it's going to get uglier. So I think that, um, you know, like you said, it's, we have a responsibility as educators to to be literate in the tools and yep. the platforms of the day. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to be on every platform and that everyone needs to be a creator on everyone. But I, I, I have known some very significant administrators, for instance, who I will not name, who have absolutely refused any kind of use of social media at all. 
Um, and I respect people's choices. And I'm, I, I actually think that this holiday, and, I, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say, I'm saying this on the show, so I'll come in. I'm going to go do a bit of a cleanse uh, from, from my phone. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful colleague who's challenging me in a lot of ways. And there's a, is it, is it Cal Thomas? There's Deep Work. Have you read that book before? I, that fact, that's funny because I, I, it's, it's sitting in uh, my Kindle uh, as okay. one that I, I would like right. to, to, to go in a little deeper into. So, so Cal Newport is the author of, mm-hmm. of Deep Work. Haven't read it yet. Um, but I have some other friends uh, who've read that. And anyway, just this idea of like literally putting my phone in a drawer and turning it off yeah. and not picking it up for a couple of days. Like, I'm going to try that. And other than going camping, you know, before the pandemic, I really haven't haven't had that experience. So anyway, I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to to pass judgment on anybody's decisions that you make about social media and about devices, et cetera. But I will say, I think that as we are educating students and as we are attempting to help develop citizens who are going to have the skills needed to not only navigate with success, the, you know, needs of, of uh, living and, and buying and networking, getting a job, but, you know, also helping shape our society, being uh, constructive voices in conversations, which hopefully involve listening and not just yelling and shouting, like utilizing social media tools, being careful, especially when we get around issues that can be used as wedge issues and can certainly be political hot potatoes being careful, but at the same time, um, being thoughtfully engaged and not remaining silent, yeah. especially when, when really bad things sometimes are happening. So I have one final comment about Twitter. It's very quick, Wes. You and I would not be friends right now without Twitter. And that's right. Just, and part of it is because like, I, I would have never walked up to you at a conference and said, Hey, is your name Wes? I think I read your blog. Like there's just, that's not the guy I am. I'm way, way more socially awkward than that and way, way, way more shy than that. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, you and I have maintained uh, an almost 10 year friendship now. And we spend an hour a week hanging out together. Yeah, this might as well right. be called coffee with Jason and Wes, right? Cause that's kind of what we're doing is talking through stuff every week. That's and right. minus Twitter, you know, it's a very powerful platform. I hope, for our sake, but also the sake for education Twitter, that Mr. Musk figures it out. Well, the good news is we're going to be able to continue to utilize these tools to make connections and to make transformative connections. And in a, you know, turn this into a full kumbaya moment. You know, Jason, you are one of my best friends. (laughs) And I treasure the fact that we have this opportunity, right? I mean, it is, it, I've, I've really missed, uh, missed our weekly meetings and you know it was it was thanks to some some wonderful friends and fellow educators that we know in Montana that you know I got to go up there uh, yeah. a few times actually to do some presentations. Uh, I think there was a Willie Nelson concert in there somewhere. <laughs> My there dad was. was up there. You know yeah. there was some different things that happened. But yeah, I mean, and this is one of the things that's always really excited me the most about using these tools is transformation, right? Being able to have a conversation, read a book, even just encounter an idea that that I wouldn't have encountered if it wasn't for, you know, this tool, this platform, this this interactive medium. And I think that that still is not as common among educators as it could be. And again, everyone's going to have different choices and everybody's got, you know, a different comfort zone when it comes to to using tools and sharing and all of that. But I I will say, and this is very, very positive, that I think the constructive potential of these interactive tools to help us as educators network and connect and, you know, find inspiration, uh, find help. Uh, be supported, like those things are super, super important. And I don't see Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg having a monopoly on all of that potential. I think that, you know, the internet and the World Wide Web specifically, I guess, writ large running over the internet, it still has just fantastic potential for us to do that. And the communities are different, you know, and when you start to get more and more folks, the you know, the dynamics change a little bit. And, and we, we, we saw that happen, you know, in the, in the beginning with, with Web 2.0 and there was just a lot of, of idealism. But why don't we, uh, why don't we segue to some AI? Because there, there's some crazy stuff happening. And yeah, I've been somehow, actually experimenting with some stuff with kids. I think you've been doing some experimentation too. I so have. where would you like to start our, our little AI? Because we're about 
or it's a little over halfway through the show. Yeah, which and how Twitter just sucked up that much oxygen in our conversation maybe just tells you uh, what we're thinking about that. So uh, this is probably multiple episodes of conversations. And I also think that this conversation has been coming for a long time in education, but it's really coming to a head now. And um, but uh, in the last couple of weeks, several things have popped up. One of them was the release of uh, chat GBT, uh, GPT version four, which is we mentioned the open chat bot. It was probably two or three months ago uh, in the, and I think it was version two or three of that. But chat G- GPT is an open source platform. Um, that is uh, 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 available um, uh, for dialogue. So you can just go to chatgpt. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, openai.com, and then go to their chat bot, which is this chat GPT. And version four of this was released last week, and it was stunning uh, in 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 that you can have a pretty good conversation with a chat bot. Now, chat bots aren't anything new, and I'm, I was just trying to remember. Uh, Jarvis, I think, was the name of the one from 30 years ago where um, you could start chatting with them. Um, there was also a, um, a chat therapist that was available at Shareware. There's a term that hasn't been around for a while, 30, 35 years ago, that you can install on your Windows 3.1 PC. And you know, there's all sorts of uh, uh, interesting bits and bytes that's been around that. But the open AI um, is a platform that's been built into a ton of interesting tools. And those tools are starting to become widely available and have themselves become viral. So um, uh, as an example of this, uh, there has been a uh, an app that is made by a company that you're probably familiar with. Uh, the company is the company that made Prisma. Uh, Prisma is a filter app that has hundreds of pretty great filters. Um, it's been around for some time. Um, I think it was 2016 when Prisma became a big deal. You, if you saw, if you went to the Prisma app, you know what I'm talking about because you've seen uh, 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 photos with this filter on them. But um, the Prisma company made something called Lenza, which is an AI-based photo editor that's pretty good and then they added a functionality um last week that allows you to make what's called magic avatars now lensa costs money and then magic avatars also cost you money um i managed to uh, get a seven day free trial i then paid seven dollars twice and last or over the weekend when traveling home i created 400 avatars based on my face. And what I did was that I started off with the first um, uh, the, the, the first 20 photos I could find on my phone that looked in any way like me, right? And it created a bunch of avatars that are interesting, but I'll be very frank, uh, 20 or 30 of them are pretty good, and they all kind of look like me. But the problem with those avatars was that... Um, uh, I, I have a second chin because I'm kind of a robust shaped dude and it would extra focus on my extra chin. Um, but the one where it didn't matter was it created a photo of me as a much, much older man, uh, completely gray, long flowing beard, very um, father time, very wise looking. And I, I texted my wife and said, uh, oh, well, this is very um, deity looking. And she says, no, you look like father time. And so this image uh, came out of that. And then I or Gandalf the gray. I think you need a staff, you know, with a with a oh, uh, yeah. crystal on it. And, yeah. and some flowing robes. Um, I shall not pass. Um, and then I posted a you know, smart alecky uh, social media post that I recently accepted a new position as Father Time. So, um, but then after that, because I was a little tired of the uh, extra chin, and here's an example of an extra chin photo where um, you know it, it extenuated my extra chin because it doesn't need any help on its own. I went and very selectively picked uh, twenty photos. Um, uh, and I had to go back in the archives a little bit. And um, some of these have a little bit of extra change on it too, but it, it, they say that it never generates the same ones twice. But these are, a, a, you know, a little more, um, uh, probably not palatable because I'm not embarrassed by my second chin. It's just not something I want to highlight, which is what the previous AI was doing. 
So this has led to a shocking amount of of of, of discussion because, um, by the way, the reason why they charge seven bucks for this service is what Lenza says is that it takes a shocking amount of computer power to generate, you know, 200 images based on 20 images. But there's all sorts of, of, of articles related to this. Um, uh, there's a, a, a blog post of hyper uh, uh, allergic on December 6th that talks about how um, there's a lot of issues there. There's accusations of racism because of, of it, it tends to play into stereotypes. Um, and to be honest, um, obviously very different for me, but the ne- necessity of um, the fact that I, um, you didn't like its results because it, 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 you know, kind of categorized me as a big guy and then started uh, like extenuating big guy stuff. I kind of know what maybe it's talking about. And there's another article uh, from TechCrunch that talks about how artists are super pissed about this. I've actually seen both, uh, uh, both, um, uh, uh, attitudes, but the, a lot of people, um, uh, are talking about how, the open AI platform sucked in uh, uh, large numbers of images, billions of images likely that from all sorts of databases, from Flickr um, to stock photo sites, to just uh, 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 image searches. And a lot of those contained um, copyrighted images that are played upon in the AI part itself. So as an example of this, um, I'm pretty sure that there's no commercial in, or that, 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 that there are free images that are open source for this, but this is Jason as astronaut. Um, it's pretty legit, right? Like that looks like. That's nice. Yeah. That's and, you know, and it's kind of cool. That that's with Lenza again? Uh, yeah, that's with Lenza again. And there's, you know, there's a couple like this. That's Jason as that's astronaut. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, oh my it, gosh, that's awesome. Well, and that's, that's exactly the point, right? Like it's. It's silly, but it does a pretty good job, right? Now, I was talking to my wife about this, and we we were talking about my two versions of uh, of, of the data sets, the kind of uh, svelter JSON versus the kind of double chin JSON. And uh, she said that 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 uh, in her world, and she's a light social media user, a lot of women are talking about that if you are a um, a larger woman that it just can't give you something that isn't exaggerated. And I feel that right. Because as a larger gentleman myself, um, you know, the, the first set seemed awfully hell bent on, on, on uh, kind of reminding the, the eye that um, I am not small and um, you know, th- there's lots here. Right. So I guess I'll just start with that. Um, Wes, any thoughts about uh, uh, what we've talked about so far in regards to this? We, we need to get together uh, more often and talk because there's so much to this. So these are probably going to be continued. Number one, uh, the chat GPT right now is free. And I yeah. just actually signed up. Um, it will not be free forever. Yeah. So a number of these generative AI platforms, which are like Dolly, which is from OpenAI as well, um, Stable Diffusion, which has been open sourced, but is being modified in, in different places, um, uh, mid-journey, <clears throat> these are, are being monetized. And uh, the op- Stable Diffusion has been open sourced for about two months. Um, and it's incredible to see the explosion uh, of what is happening. To your point about the artist being upset, uh, I want to share this article from MIT Tech Review on September 16th. It's titled, This Artist is Dominating AI-Generated uh, Art, and He's Not Happy About It. And when I get to my Geek of the Week, which is a podcast, that's that's how I learned about this article. This is like Harry Potter land. Okay, generative AI is I type in some words, and boom, I see a picture. And I'm not going to share the link to the Padlet because right now it's open and anybody could put anything. But my kids have, have we've probably created hundreds of these uh, in the last week in Padlet. Um, it's a bit, I actually sent a, a, a letter and a video home to parents last week because one of the tools, MidJourney, uses Discord. And that is not a, a, a friendly, it, it's a potentially dangerous uh, chat app, <clears throat> especially for, for younger kids. Anyway, and I've got, you know, and I had, there are, there are kids that are gamers that are on Discord anyway. So there's a lot of different, you know, issues around this. But if, the reason this is like Harry Potter is Greg Rakowski 
is a fantasy artist who really is uh, like Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons. If you go to that link I put in the show notes, like pretty incredible uh, fantasy images. Well, his name is more popular than Picasso or any other phrase because what people have discovered, and thanks to Reddit and Twitter and social media and whatever, if you simply put his name in the query, suddenly you get phenomenal results. And that article has some examples of this. And so there's really, really interesting and important connections to intellectual property. You know, your point about how many images have been ingested by these AIs. This reminds, we've talked on the show before about Clearview AI. And I put that link into the chat and I'll keep it in the show notes. This is a database of thousands and thousands of of faces that have been scraped against the you know terms of service of of these different platforms, but it has created this system that many many law enforcement agencies across the United States and I don't know perhaps internationally, but certainly in the United States are using, and can supposedly get pretty good results of just hey here's a security camera you know shot who is this and it tells you. But as you were mentioning earlier, there's there's all kinds of problems, especially because these. Um, systems have not tended to be trained on as many uh, people of color and, you know, it's, it, it is not working as well uh, for African-Americans and, and for others. And so there's just a lot of, of issues um, that are around it. And then the other thing that I got to say is this article by The Atlantic. I read this last night. This is from December 6th. It's called The College Essay is Dead. Nobody is prepared for how AI will transform academia. And I'm actually going to send this to my principal um, and just offer, I don't know, we, we don't have a faculty meeting in, uh, until next year, but like sharing this, we've, we've had hints of AI making an impact, but the tools that are now available, and I think this, G, G, this chat GPT and engines that are, that are built on it, um, it's so good. We're talking about master's level essays and writing that you can then refine again with your query, with the way that you're asking for things. But we're not talking about something that's just been copied off the web and plagiarized like some of my wife's fifth graders have done recently. And I helped her and I said, honey, I don't think a fifth grader wrote that. Let's Google that. Oh, look, there's the exact page. And then, the, you know, there's the whole essay. It's, it's on the first page of Google results. It's not hard to find. With this generative stuff, we're talking about actually new phrases, new paragraphs, new sentences, and it's it's pretty good. And so these articles, and we're not going to get to all of them that we even have in tonight's show notes, it, it's not quite human, and it still, it still requires there to be some human, um, you know, creativity in terms of like, what are you going to say and, and put into it? But what this article in The Atlantic says is that in the humanities specifically, and this is in schools sort of writ large, we have used the essay as this huge part of the assessment process of seeing whether or not students have learned and giving students now a an assessment which cannot be gamed through one of these generative AI tools has suddenly in the last month become a really, really big deal because these tools are more accessible than ever before and they're incredibly powerful in what they can do. Yeah, totally. Um, well, and to your point, um, I, it's, it's funny because um, a lot of these AI-based writing apps uh, have crossed my radar in the last month, and I've been doing demos with my staff on it just because, you know, what you mentioned, Wes, about this notion of, of the whole essay going away, I think it's enormously problematic for a variety of reasons because I think writing and speaking, for that matter, are really important uh, intellectual tools for building capacity inside your head, right? Um, but that said, though, um, I've been playing with one called Lex. It's at lex.page, and it has a unique piece to it in that um, it doesn't generate something per se, but if you get stuck, uh, all you need to do is type in three pluses and will continue to write on your behalf. And so as an example of this, I typed in five, or I typed in, I, I copy and pasted five paragraphs from my dissertation into it. And then went to paragraph number six, plus, plus, plus. Um, not only did it write a pretty legit next paragraph, it also added citations to it, right? I haven't looked to see if those citations are real or not. They could have been just generated citations to look like citations. 
but Sweet Mother of Troy, is that a, a mind-blowing idea and concept? And I will also note, too, that um, I typed in one paragraph about my program, um, mentioning it by name, and then went plus, 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 and uh, twice, and it wrote two more paragraphs. The paragraphs weren't accurate, but they sounded right. Um, like, and it, and it utilized a lot of knowledge that unless you knew about my program, it, it would be, it, it would, it would be ridiculous to, to just make this up based on the fact that, you know, I run an online program, right? I, it, there's a lot of discussions here. Um, I will tell you, I do think that there's a lot of folks in academia that absolutely have their heads in the sand about this. And in fact, uh, I've been witnessing this discussion on the professor subreddit, um, which is an interesting place to go. It can sometimes get a little discouraging, but um, someone posted up uh, with citations this notion that we're never going to have to worry about AI in regards to this. And first of all, the citations were from 2018, so that that itself uh, tells you maybe they they don't get it. But a lot of professors were, uh, I guess, uh, or at least I should say, folks on the subreddit. Who knows if they're actually professors or not? Um, uh, you know, put in quite a bit of, um, uh, 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 you know, like I'm glad to hear, and I don't want to, to, to you know to try to, to figure out what's AI generated and what's not. But the bottom line is, is that it's it's pretty scary. And by the way, all these chatbots and the tools are built on top of them. I've tried everything, uh, and and usually it can provide a pretty good, you know, it's. I'm not saying this is going to be a, a an A plus essay, but you know, what are the three reasons why the South lost the Civil War? That's an example prompt I use all the time, and it comes up with things that are pretty legitimate, right? And and um, maybe college professors don't have to worry about this for a while, but middle school teachers do right because that's the level of writing that i would say it's roughly akin to or early high school um, well and this atlantic article is talking about master's level like yeah. and, and th this is where we're take we're, we're getting a taste of the power of ai i i've read and heard and watched videos that talk about how in the not too distant future for instance doctors are going to be augmented with ais that are going to have comprehensively read every single research article that remotely touches on whatever particular, you know, ailment and symptom and situation that a patient is in. And it's just a bit startling, I think, to encounter this in such a, it's not fully fleshed out in terms of like, it's perfect. It's not, but it's so good right now. And the pace of this is to only get better. And so I think that, and it'll be interesting to see if in, at NCCE you've got some sessions about this. I think this is a really, really important topic for us all to talk about because, I mean, writing writing is so important. And we, my wife and I were talking about this today. I, I'm having my kids uh, write scripts for their culminating video project for the Fruit Loop conspiracy theory about the moon landings and SIFT and using that as a web literacy framework and all that stuff. It's hard, man. You know, it, it's challenging. It's hard to get kids to do writing. It's hard to, to help them do high quality writing. And she's, you know, has struggles with, with her fifth graders as well, but it's so important and we've got to find more ways to write but with these tools, it really, I don't know, maybe we're going to end up handing kids a, a crayon and, uh, a, you know, a, a, a tablet of, of paper and <clears throat> just say, okay, you know, you, you got to just do this here in class in front of me and, and I'm going to watch you. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what this is going to mean, but it is going to, it, it's not going to be a, a hypothetical. It's it's today and and students already and I, we haven't exhaustively covered these tools, but, you know, our daughter who's now 19 has a very good working knowledge of mathematical tools, which can show you your steps as well. And we're talking about higher level. Yeah, I think trigonometry and calculus. We're not just talking about, you know, basic arithmetic. So the application of these tools to repetitive kinds of tasks and things which which can be automated, that, that's not even half of it because what we're talking about with this essay writing and this generative AI with images is literal like imagination and creativity and synthesis of, of ideas uh, and things that, again, the Turing test, I don't know if we've mentioned that on the show before or recently, but that's Alan Turing's test is to, is to say, look, if you're 
you know, separated between a, with a wall and you don't know if you're interacting with a robot or a human, <clears throat> the intelligence test, the Turing test is you can't tell, you know, and that machine has tricked you because you've been asking it questions and it's been answering and you, you, you can't tell. And I think that this AI chat GPT is getting close to that. And hopefully they yeah. figured out a way to not have it become sort of this, the, uh, not sort of, uh, a horrible, nasty troll. Because, you know, that's happened before with, with Microsoft chatbots and other things in the past. Yep, coming to a school <laughs> near you, uh, for better or for worse. So, um, so Wes, somehow we just let two topics uh, suck up the entire hour. Um, I will say there's more to come, I think, on this AI topic. And um, the... Um, um, I'm sure we'll be talking about this in, in future weeks, but I do think if you're a teacher um, and and it, I would experiment with this, not because oh, yeah. it it's it's an issue now, although I think it is an issue now in, in some classrooms. But you're 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 right, Wes, like even if you don't think it's a threat now, it will be a threat to something. I, I you know, threat is, is is not necessarily a negative thing. Um, you uh, threat if, if, if there's an unpalatable status quo that that's being threatened by something that's a, a different thing altogether. But uh, yeah, definitely coming to a um, uh, uh, an app near you. Let's do a couple quick hits. We've just we've got a whole bunch of other articles. Do you want to do just a few more? Or do you or you want to go to Geek of the Week it and kind of wind? No, up? let's. Uh, this one's a fun play with thing too. Um, uh, there's a great article from the Virgin number 18th that the FCC has released their uh, U.S. broadband map, and I put a link uh, uh, to the FCC broadband map in 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 our show notes. So again, edtechsr.com/link. Um, and I think this is a useful exercise to go through this. Basically, uh, the FCC has been working on and taking reports from people, by the way, uh, in regards to what internet providers are available to you and the providers themselves, um, are, you know, are featured by address now, which is the first time this has ever been available. It's an incredibly useful consumer tool. Oh but you, you type your address in, and it tells you which providers are available to you. And as I am not surprised at all, when I type in my personal address uh, in beautiful Missoula, Montana, um, the results are about what, what I was expecting. And the reason why I went ahead um, and typed in um, my information is because I was curious to see the DSL provider in my neighborhood uh, keeps sending me emails and, and mail pieces telling me that fiber is available in my neighborhood. And every time I go and look at, um, and I, I'd be interested in a little bit of fiber uh, in my neighborhood. And every time I go to find out more about it, it tells me there's only a 1.5 megabit uh, connection available, which is, I, I'm pretty sure the connection I had back in 1998. Um, so it's not very good uh, as it turns out. And one of the things that I think is pretty extraordinary uh, about this is that it puts a lot of, of, of information in consumers' hands. And by the way, the DSL provider is not even listed at my home, so they don't even acknowledge that my neighborhood has access to that. Um, but um, uh, I've looked. Uh, it's pretty accurate, uh, at least in the, the three or four addresses that I'm available to check that I know for sure what's there. And the FCC wants you to challenge this. If, if a company's claiming that, that you have access available and they won't come to your address, they won't return your phone call or the speed is lower than they're advertising here. They ask you to submit proof of that and they'll investigate into it to create an accurate map. So wonderful consumer tool. Fantastic. Um, okay. Uh, you put an article about this too. This is Ars Technica, December 6th. Stalkers chilling use of AirTags spurs class action lawsuit against Apple. This is a pretty big deal. We've talked about AirTags. We talked about the wonder and, you know, benefit of AirTags, especially traveling, putting thing, you know, putting them in your, in your bags. Um, but this article, uh, which again is a class action lawsuit, covers anyone in the United States who owns either an iOS or an Android device. And there's just been all kinds of police reports through the years ever or through the, yeah, I guess it, well, ever since AirTags came out in 2021 um, about the ways in which they have uh, been used to, to stalk people and in real, real harmful ways. Um, and so again, this is like the two sided face of technology, a really powerful tool like this is going to unfortunately be able to, to be used by bad actors um, as it's going to be able to be used by folks that want to do two good things. 
You want to do another one and I'll do one and then we probably better. Um, yeah. Um, uh, by the way, I did travel with AirTags in the last couple of weeks and they're still absolutely delightful for travel. Um, here's a quick one that, that is, is just, I think, good news. Um, Google has released its 2022 report of its, uh, you know, uh, top search terms. I'm delighted to report. It's not the queen dying. It's not Ukraine. Uh, it's not, uh, Elon Musk and Twitter. The top search in 2022 is the word wordle. So, um, the, uh, I'm glad to see that, that we together, uh, uh care more about distracting, uh, word games, uh, than we are about the issues of the day. And I think that's actually pretty good news about our culture. Uh, and there's so many other good articles that I want to get to. So the good news is, folks, the rumor is that we will be back next week. So. Wow. Okay. It's been too long. Uh, it has been too long, but I think that's a message for us for the future. So it is. All right. Geeks of the week. Um, I'll, I'll go fast. Uh, two, one that I'm going to be, uh, just say kind of quietly if I can do that. Uh, the first one is awesome. This is a podcast called the fork podcast from October 21st. Um, it is, uh, from so uh, at least one New York times columnist. They both might be. It's entitled generative AI is here. Who should control it? And I don't think that I have shared this because it's been a while since we were talking, but I had a chance to hear a person who's pretty high up at OpenAI talk at our school. Did I tell you about this um, on the show, Jason? There's, say it again. Uh, uh, an employee of OpenAI came and presented at our school for oh. our kids. Yeah, and I need to I need to post about it. Anyway, that's how I learned that. That OpenAI has is not and did not want to open source their tools. They're not doing that. But this hedge fund investor person um, has done that, and that's where Stable Diffusion came from. And so his name is Imad Mastak, and this is a fantastic interview. And there's so much here in terms of this idea that we shouldn't have AI controlled by a few people, and you know. Or should we want to wait because it's so powerful and not just release it and just see what happens? But he's decided to just, you know, open source it and see what happens. And there's some crazy things that can happen. So anyway, that's a fantastic, fantastic podcast. And then I'm going to, I can't really say this quietly because I'm going to say it and it's going to be, you know, text to speech, whatever. It's going to be, we had some attacks on our power grid here in North Carolina this week. I've made a wakelet that's unlisted right now, um, and I've added to it. And I think I'm going to write a blog post about this called uh, Culture War Meets Power Grid. But anyway, there's some fairly alarming stuff here. This was a targeted attack, and they do not know at this point, or they haven't said publicly who um, – who did it, but there's an intersection with white supremacy, with uh, right-wing militia groups, with former military officers that led groups to Washington, D.C. for January 6th. Um, and there's power still out, um, you know, just outside Fayetteville, about an hour and a half east of where we are. It took power out for about 50,000 users. Uh, people took firearms and and were, knew what they were doing and took out part of this of these two different substations. Um, that coincidentally uh, took out power at a drag um, a drag show that was happening that people were really mad about and had posted on social media about. So there's a lot of intersections of different issues. Um, but Wakelet, it's a great tool. And you can also have unlisted Wakelet links, which obviously now it's going to be available on our show notes. But that's a pretty interesting and important set of dynamics that Actually, in the Pacific Northwest, you've seen as well in Oregon, Washington, and there's some articles in there um, that cite some of those attacks, which haven't just been against the power grid. They've also been against Internet and, you know, fiber connections and, and things like that that have been targeted attacks that we don't know exactly who did those. It's kind of a downer, but I'm sure you're going to have something more positive for us to finish up. Okay, I'm going to have something more positive for you, Wes. Um, we've often talked about Swappa um, on on the program, which is a place that both Wes and I have utilized to buy used technology. Most recently, um, I bought a new, well, new to her iPhone for my wife. We didn't want a brand new, brand new phone, but we upgraded her to an iPhone 13 and paid you know, almost half the price, no, less than half the price than we would have paid for it new. And it turned out that the phone itself, uh, 
had a hundred percent battery uh, health on it, which meant for all practical purposes, it was, it was going to, it's, it's going to last her for a while, but there's another one available. That's very swap alike. It tends to work more with larger refurbishing firms as opposed to individuals, but I've had a couple of good experiences on it the last couple of months, uh, helping out family. It's called back market, backmarket.com. And uh, the prices are competitive. And I did do some research to see what other people perceived about back market. And it's listed as a viable Swappa alternative by a lot of writers that have bought from both. So if you're looking for devices, and especially if you have a very specific device you're looking for, and you want to get it at a certain price level, um, I keep both back market and Swappa now in, in the background so that I can utilize it as a potential place to um, uh, buy used devices. So that's backmarket.com. Do we want to do a holiday show, by the way? We've done one as far as, or do we just want to maybe include some things next show? And some, oh, let's like, include some things next show. I've got some holiday, ideas and things yeah, that I would, I would buy uh, stocking stuffer wise if I yeah, were yeah. Uh, uh, buying uh, tech for folks. Good. Okay, cool. Well, Dr. Fryer, where can people find you on the internet? And I guess we have to start talking about Mastodon too, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, just go to westfryer.com slash after, and you could link to all my places, which includes Mastodon. But Twitter is still the best place probably, and that's W. Fryer. How about you? Awesome. I am on Mastodon at Knife, uh, which is on Mastodon.cloud. I have no better way of describing that. And then I'm also uh, still on Twitter, I guess. Uh, uh, in fact, I haven't decreased my, my usage of it at all. I guess a shout out to Mr. Musk. But um, Tech Savvy Teach is my uh, moniker on Twitter. So this here, though, is a tech situation where there are once a week podcast, uh, sometimes a once a month podcast, but we're, we'll be back to once a week starting next week again, uh, where we talk about educational technology. We hope you join us live. We have an opportunity um, to reach out to audiences live on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, somewhere in the middle of the night, UTC, if you happen to be in Western Europe. If you can't join us live, although we wish you would, find us anywhere, find our podcasts or aggregated or YouTube. Uh, EdTechSR has an active YouTube page where all of our, our archive videos go along with Facebook. If people still use Facebook, Facebook has uh, uh, our live shows too. Or you can go to our website, EdTechSR.com, and download a tiny mp3 uh, thank you for joining us this week stay safe stay savvy we hope to see you next time on the edtech situation room good night do not pass go go download lens ai <laughs> <laughs>